pastors, and we're working together to reach our community with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? How cool is that to see churches just loving and working together? So praise the Lord. Well, I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning for our three-hour study. For our short study in the Word of God, we are in chapter 14 of Exodus as we continue in our walk through the Scriptures. If you're taking notes today, uh, I would title the message, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Have you ever found yourself sitting right in the midst of the rock and the hard place? The nowhere to go kind of stuff. Egat, how did I get here, sometimes we might say. What in the world is going on? There is no way out in sight. Well, we find in Exodus chapter 14, you see, the Passover has occurred. The firstborn of all Egypt has died, except for those who had the blood covering of the Passover lamb in their house. So the children of Israel, uh, they, they obeyed the Lord, and they took that Passover lamb, and they took the blood and covered the doorposts and the lentil, and the death angel passed over them. And now Pharaoh has woke up, and there's not a house in Egypt that hasn't faced death. And Pharaoh's house, his eldest, and he says, Moses, you and your people, get out. Get out. Go. Worship your God as you have requested. And I have denied you these 10 times. Go not only with your wives and your children, all the men, but all of the animals as you have requested, go. And so, they've begun this journey. And we pick up in chapter 14 as they have now exited Egypt in that area of Goshen. They're moving. And estimates, some 600,000 men, the text even tells us and has told us, so we can have an estimate of how many people this could have been. Estimations are anywhere from a million, two, to three million. I've heard even larger numbers than that. There are a lot of people, and they're migrating, and they're migrating with all their herds. They're migrating with all their stuff, and they're moving. They're on the move. We're gonna see four spiritual realities that are applicable to you and I in our daily living today out of our text in chapter 14 today. Let's read verses one through four and we'll look at the first spiritual reality. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered. They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. 
Let me stop here for a moment. You see, after the children of Israel left, Pharaoh and his men were like, man, what have we done? Our labor force has just left. This is not good for us. So they saddled up their horses, so to speak. They got their 6,000 chariot war machines. They got all of their soldiers, and they began the pursuit of Israel. And so Pharaoh, God says, Pharaoh's going to say, well, look, these folks, the wilderness has already caused a bewilderment because Pi-ha-haroth is on one side, Migdal is on the other side, the sea is in front of them, they're between a rock and a hard place. Where are they going to go? There's only one way out, the way they came in, and we own that space now. And they're coming in, they're thinking, man, we got it. We're going to get the Israelites back. We're going to get our workforce back. Verse 4, God says, Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And remember, we've talked a lot about what that phrase means. What that phrase means. God set him in his ways. He was, his heart was set, and God solidified it in that place. So that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Remember, Pharaoh, when Moses first came to him and said, let my people go, Israel is my son. This is what thus says the Lord. Israel is my son, let my people go. And Pharaoh responded to Moses and said, who is Yahweh that I should worship him? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him. You see, Pharaoh is in their faith and their religion. He is the personification, the son of Amun-Ra, the Egyptian god. He is the son of God in that Egyptian faith and belief. So he says, who is Yahweh that I should bow down to him? So, he says, that they, the Egyptians, may know that I am the Lord. Listen, sometimes God leads his children into impossible circumstances. Sometimes God leads his children into impossible circumstances. Now, that's a spiritual reality, number one. God took the children of Israel, led them down this valley. They have Pi-ha-hiroth. They have Migdal, which is a city out by the delta, if you will. And then the sea, all encompassing. And it's across from the city Baal-Zephon, on the other side of the Red Sea, if you will. They're stuck. Why would God do that? Why would God lead his children into impossible circumstances? Boy, I'll tell you, I mean, this is gut-wrenching for the Israelites. Can you imagine how excited they were, probably, those that were like super, super eager? Lots of energy kind of at the front of the, let's say, three million people. They're like, come on, yeah. And they're like, they turn around and they go, oh, here comes Pharaoh. And they're like, well, thank God we're in the back now. <laughs> and all those that were in the back, they turn around, they're like, um, we're now in the front. This is not comfortable. 
and begin to panic. Saying things to Moses we'll see in a few moments. Why would God do something like that? Well, the text bears it out. I'll go kind of in a reverse order. I'm going to give really the last thought first. With the children of Israel, uh, Israel, he did it to demonstrate his power. His power. He said that all the Egyptians would know that I am the Lord. There is no God besides me. I am God. And he's going to demonstrate his power. God's power is greater than any power on earth. Greater. Greater than any power in the supernatural realm. God is. So he's first done it to demonstrate his power. Secondly, he's done it to gain honor over Pharaoh. To gain honor over Pharaoh. Now listen, this is kind of a two-sided coin. On the one side, the Pharaoh's side of the coin, Pharaoh thinks he's God. And God says, yes, I'm going to show you that you are not. There's only one God, and I occupy that space, God would say. Now, the other side of that coin is, you see, the Israelites also were captivated, if you will. Now, for 400 years, they've lived in Egypt. How many of you know that even in our Christianity, we can, come, we can become complacent? And generation after generation after generation, we've been here in America some 250 years. Where is the spiritual disposition of our nation today from where it once was? The church has been in a state of complacency and apathy in so many cases. And as a result of it, faith has diminished. And so, the Israelites, they also were enamored with the realities, if you will. And so God for them was going to say, hey, his power is nothing. Zero. Zero. So to demonstrate his power, to gain honor over Pharaoh, and thirdly, to gain honor over all of Pharaoh's armies. You see, his armies are looking to him as God. And he says, yeah, I'm going to show those guys that he's not. And God in all of the plagues has already demonstrated his superiority over all of the pantheon of gods the Egyptians have. He's already demonstrated his authority over every area that they supposedly were in charge of. There was one last bastion. That was Pharaoh himself, the quote-unquote son of God. And he was going to demonstrate not only to Pharaoh, but all Pharaoh's armies as well. Some people ask the question, why does God desire our honor over other gods, if you will? Why does God desire our honor? Does God need our honor? No. He is the self-existent God. He existed in all eternity prior to this envelope called time, this window called creation. We've been around for about 6,000 years. All eternity prior to that, he, had, he, does, he does not require our honor. But 
It's more about us, if you will, because God desires to give himself away. And we can position ourselves to receive the best from God when we do things God's way. And so God is not up in heaven as an egotist saying, I need a little more honor up here. I'm going to mess with these guys over here. That's not his deal. He's, he's seeking to give himself away because he knows he's best. And he wants the world, let alone his own children, to have the best. Come on, that's exciting. God wants us to have the best. Praise God. God cannot bless idolatry. He cannot bless idolatry in Egypt. He cannot bless idolatry in Israel. And he cannot bless idolatry in you and I, you and me. He cannot. So God led the Israelites into a seemingly impossible situation. Would God, would God do that to you and I? Would God lead you and I into impossible situations? Crisis mode? Stress scenarios? Why might our Father, who loves us, do that to you and I? I would submit to you for the same three reasons. He'd like to demonstrate his power to you and I. Come on. And we need the power of God made manifest in our lives. We need, how many of us are tired of trying to do it in our own strength? Come on, we need the power of God to be made manifest in our lives. How about this? God wants honor over the pharaohs in my life, the pharaohs in Dave Morris's life. The gods that I have set up over him. The gods that you have set up over him, over Yahweh. We have pharaohs. We'll look at that in just a moment. In other words, what things do you and I trust in more than we trust in the Lord? What area of our life do we have a greater trust in than we might have trust in the Lord? A while ago, almost 14 years ago, my wife and I were serving on staff at a church out in Tualatin. I had left the steel industry seven years earlier. I had been in the steel industry for 10 years doing ministry on the streets of Portland, literally for the last 33 years now. But it's, uh, I had been doing uh, this work and... God gave us a vision to plant a church, and we shared the vision, and through a series of circumstances, my wife and I found ourselves without employment. We were both employed uh, in the kingdom of God, and we were now without employment. We had no income. We had no insurance. Over the seven years of ministry, because just... Circumstances, the steel industry, operations general manager, salary was here, and income in the kingdom of God, youth pastor was somewhere down here. And so some of our savings, the majority of our savings, we had used up. And 
we, we were in an impossible situation. We had three preteens in our home. I think Matthew was 12. He may have been 13, so he may have been a teenager at that point. But we were facing an impossible situation. We had no income. We had a mortgage. We needed vittles on the table. We had bills. We were basically debt-free in terms of consumer debt, but we had electric bills, gas bills, phone bills, you know, the phones that were attached to a wall at one point in time. <laughs> Ma Bell. <laughs> we had all that, and we had no income. Why would God put us in that situation? We didn't ask to be there. And we looked at each other. And we say, all we have is faith in God and a vision that he has given us. All we have is God. And we prayed and we prayed, and we prayed. You know that proverb, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. That's all we had. For weeks, mortgage was coming due. We took our little pittance of savings. We said, God, you called us to plant a church We'll go open a checking account and I'll take a paycheck from my own savings account, if you will. We're, we're going to empty our savings, put it into the church that doesn't exist, and I'll take an income, small, so we can make our payment. So I went to the bank and they said, great, you want to start a church and you want to open a checking account, we're all for you. I thought, oh, praise the Lord. They said, you need to have an actual name and you need to be a nonprofit. I said, I'll be back. <laughs> so I went home and we prayed. We said, God, we need a name for the church. We prayed all weekend long, fasted, prayed, and God spoke to us and said, and gave us, we felt the name, Hillside Christian Fellowship. So I went down to Salem, opened up a nonprofit and said, hey, we're, we're moving forward. They gave us all of the appropriate Documents. We took it to the bank. We opened up a checking account. And about, oh, this was probably four weeks in. And we took just a little, in fact, we set up a, a check, uh, a, a bookkeeper. And we set up a, another sister church out in Tualatin to oversee our small amount of finances. And said, hey, help me out. Set, set a, little, a little salary for me so that we don't run out of money. And here's the beauty. God's faithful. God is faithful. He led us into an impossible situation so that he could show his power. Do you know that within 30 days, 30 days, we got a phone call in our house. A man says, uh, Kim, we'd like you to go to work for us. They hired her. They gave her a great salary and income. They had insurance, listen, and it was Kaiser Insurance earlier. Now, the steel company I worked with was a former Kaiser steel company. The insurance that God gave us after 30 days was better than when I was in the steel industry from a former Kaiser company. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is above and beyond. It was the blessing of God. He had put us in an impossible situation to demonstrate his power. Do you know that we got phone calls in that first 30 days, family members, 
the Arntzes, the Leahys, uh, of course the Morrises, and uh, there were a couple other families that began to send tithe checks to a church that didn't exist yet. We just put it into that checking account. We let our bookkeeper know. She began to keep records of all of that. The Schaefers were doing that. God, come on, Schaefers, that was epic. Early on stuff. We were having prayer meetings, and God just began to move. And I'm saying this, and I'm being reminded today because the Israelites are in this possible situation, and God's going to demonstrate his power. And if God has placed you in an impossible situation, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord, because he wants to demonstrate his power. And he want, whatever things you are trusting in, man, he's going to tear them down. He's going to break them down. If you're trusting in your income, if you're trusting in all these other kinds of things, look, God wants to be God in your life. He wants to be God in my life. He wants to be God in our lives. So what about God can I learn through circumstances like this? What about me can I learn through circumstances like this? How might faith in God transform my thinking. If I'm between a rock and a hard place, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Spiritual reality number two, Exodus 14, verses five through nine. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? that we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots. I said 6,000, 600. It's like adding a zero. Don't do that with your taxes. Okay. 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Hahiroth before Baal-Zephon. Spiritual reality number two. Satan continues his pursuit after our deliverance from bondage. This is a reality for the Israelites in that Pharaoh continued his pursuit. In biblical typology, Pharaoh is a type of Satan himself. And so we can glean from this reality and this story, the scripture Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, said, these things happened and were written down for us, for our admonition. We can learn from what happened and transpired with the nation Israel in the Old Testament. And here is a spiritual reality. Listen, when God brings deliverance in my life, Satan is not happy about that. And he will pursue. He's coming after us. And if we're heads up about that, if we're wise to his scheme, will be more equipped and prepared. So the spiritual analogy. Sometimes we think that Satan lets go easily. Do not be lulled into sleep thinking that somehow Satan has just simply let you go. Well, I lost that one. Guess I'll just lose that one and be done. 
Mm-mm-mm. Don't be lulled into sleep thinking that somehow you easily got off the hook. Your adversary and my adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He has come but to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a liar. He's the father of it. When he speaks, he speaks his native language, which is lies. He'll whisper in your ear. He'll whisper in my ear. Remember what he did through Pharaoh trying to bring compromise with the children of Israel? Sure, Moses, you, your men can go, but leave the women and the children and don't go too far. Stay in the land. Well, Moses, sure, you can go and you can take the children, but leave all the cattle and the herds behind. Just seeking to get compromise. That's the scheme of the enemy. He'd like to get you and I to compromise. He's not giving up easy. He's going to pursue. He'll be hot on our tails. Sometimes we think that once we leave Satan's kingdom, he forgets about us. Just forgotten. Easily let go and somehow forgotten. Listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are on his radar screen. Because if he can get you to fall... He can cause the trust in other people that they, you see, people are watching you. You may be the only Bible that some people around you are reading. And if Satan can get you to crumble and fall, they'll say, yeah, I knew there was no power there. I knew there was no power there anyway. And so he wants you to think that, he wants me to think that somehow we're just forgotten. Well, the truth is, just as Pharaoh went after Israel, Satan pursues us, attempting, attempting to keep us at least on the fringes of his domain and not getting all the way in to relationship with the Lord. So why does God allow the enemy to pursue us? You ever wonder that? <laughs> why is there evil in the world? Why does God allow Satan to pursue Come after me. I know this much. The battle that you and I are living in is continuous. And God wants to demonstrate on a continuous manner his power and strength and authority in this kingdom, in the kingdom of God. He wants to demonstrate on an ongoing basis. And so there's a tension that we live in. Let's lean into the Lord. Can we do that? Knowing that my enemy, and knowing this about having spiritual intelligence, if you will, in the supernatural realm that he is pursuing, what can I learn about my adversary in this? How might that help me pray? How might that help me grow? What might I recall about my position in Christ comparatively? Listen, all authority has been given to Jesus, thanks be to God. And he says, behold, I have given you authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions and, say it with me, all of the power of the evil one. How much of the power? All. How much? All. Come on. All. And when God says all, he means all. All of the power of the evil one. That means in Christ Jesus, I have authority over Satan's kingdom. 
every principality, every power, every ruler, every authority, the spiritual forces of wickedness, the spiritual hosts of darkness in this world, God has given us authority over. Come on. That's amazing. Thanks be to God. So how might faith in God transform my thinking and my stance? If I'm between a rock and a hard place, trust in God. Through the power of his might. Spiritual reality number three. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. And I'm going to read 13 and 14 in a moment, but 10 through 12 first. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians then we should die in the wilderness. Here's a spiritual reality number three, and this one kind of hurts a little bit. Sometimes God's children respond wrong in the midst of their impossible circumstances. <laughs> Boy, do I know that. Why did they do that? Why did they respond wrong? Well, probably the same reasons that you and I do sometimes when we're facing impossible circumstances. You see, there is the natural man response. And there's the spiritual man response. The natural man, gut reaction. Jesus, the New Testament tells us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. What abundance do I have here? Faith in God or holy moly, what am I gonna do? Oh, God. I'm in trouble, shoot. For some of us, explicitive. I mean, right? That's a big deal. The natural man, the natural tendency. I had a dog when I was growing up. It wasn't my dog. It was our family dog. There were four of us kids. I'm the youngest of the four. Come on, let's hear it for the babies. That's why my parents named me Dave, David Beloved. <laughs> Don't go there. Anyway, this beagle, and I've told the story before. His name was Roxy. I did not name the beagle. <laughs> if I named the beagle, it'd be, hey, bud, come here. <laughs> Roxy, I think my sisters did that. Anyway, Roxy. Roxy got out of the house one day and took off running. And we live by a busy street, Golden West. If any of you are from Huntington Beach, California, Golden West. And Roxy just bolted right out into Golden West. And boy, I'll tell you, first car. Thum, thum, thum. I remember seeing as a kid, Roxy rolling under the car. It was terrifying. But Roxy got up and ran right to our lawn and just dropped down, on, just dropped down into the lay down position. And I remember we all, went, we all got over around Roxy. We're like, are you okay? Are you okay? And my neighbor, daughter, who she was kind of a thorn in my side, 
But she reached down to pet Roxy, and Roxy didn't know. Roxy, she, she has a body, and she has a soul. She had a little personality, her kind of her mind, will, and emotion. But she, she couldn't reason. She just knew she was hurt, and she was terrified and didn't want to get hurt anymore. It's very natural. And so when this little hand came in to just pet her, she didn't know if that hand was going to hurt her or help her. And so she did the natural thing and bit her hand, just latched onto that thing. I mean, and I remember just turning red with blood. My parents were probably going, oh, this is going to cost a lot of money. <laughs> no, they, were, they were like, oh, no, no. But the dog, he just acted natural, bit out. And sometimes God's children, in the midst of the impossible situations, we react in the natural we lash out. We hurt. Sometimes we can be cruel, unkind. If you know what I'm talking about, raise your hand. Anybody been there? Yeah. Innocent people, sometimes it's children. Sometimes it's a spouse. Uh, sometimes it's the other driver. You know what I'm talking about? We lash out. It's a natural man. Natural man responses. We're all very capable of these gut level, gut wrenching. Uh, fear is a strong motivator, and the text tells us they were, they were afraid. So fearful responses, not faith-filled responses. Well, if you're like me, wouldn't you like your natural reaction now to be the faith-filled one all of the time? Well, hallelujah, God, I know you're in charge. Thanks be to God. I'll go this way. I missed my turn because that guy didn't let me over in the car. Praise the Lord, I know you're directing my path. Man, I'd like that. Listen, if that was you driving next to me earlier this week, sorry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like that to be the way. But oftentimes we deal with the old nature. It's like we pick up the old garments. We put on the old garment. We take off the new garment like <laughs> no one's around. And then we pick up the old garment. <laughs> and put the new one back on. Hey, praise the Lord. <laughs> that ought not be, right? That ought not be. That ought not be. Sometimes it's plightful and not peaceful. It's the proverbial doomsday orientation or disposition. I knew this was going to happen. Great. God is out to get me. Great. I should have done things better earlier. Great. Everything is going to fall apart. Oh, my. Woe is me. Woe is me. Woe is me. And we just go to the negative. God is against me. Nothing ever works out. And we use extreme language. This always happens to me. Doomsday. It's not rooted in the word of God. It's not rooted in the promises of God. It's rooted in the carnal response. It's rooted in the flesh. Oh, we seek to find fault. Could you imagine? Three million people. Three million Say that with me. Three million people. They're like, 
Ah, God. Well, we can't blame God. Ah, Moses. And like laser, they zoom in on Moses. <laughs> we tend to seek to find fault. And when we can't place it on the what is perceivingly intangible, ah, that didn't work for me to put it on God, so I'll find fault in another human being. And we do it with our kids, we do it with our spouses, we do it with our bosses, we do it with the guy in the car next to us. We try and find someone to get full vent. Sometimes God's children respond wrong in the impossible circumstances. Now, I love Moses. Come on, Moses is a great man because he demonstrates a great response. Listen to verses 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Come on. How many of us would rather be there? Man, faith-filled, ready to roll. Come on, God, let's go. Lord, what can I do to see transformation like that from fear responses to faith responses? How do I transition from fear base to faith base? How can I increase my faith? What relationally with the Lord can I do to strengthen my trust in him? The scripture tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How can I strengthen that relationship? Spend time with the Lord. Spend time with the Lord. Look at the priority of your week. You have 168 hours this week. How will you invest them? Will you give God the first fruits of your week? Wake up every morning, as the psalmist said, early in the morning I will rise up and seek thee. It will transform the inside. So out of the abundance of the heart, that faith, come on God. We got this thing. Let's roll. Let's roll. Lord, help us to grow. Final thought. Doing good on time, too. Final thought. Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. Exodus 14, 15 through 18. He says this. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Now, let me stop there for a moment. Come on. They're between a rock and a hard place. And God's about to demonstrate his power. He's about to demonstrate and gain honor over Pharaoh and over the armies of Egypt. 
he's about to gain stature in the hearts of the children of Israel. And he says to Moses, hey, stop praying. You turn. You tell the children of Israel to move forward. He says, take up your rod. Stretch out your hands over the sea and divide it. Let's go. Then he says, And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Josh, just roll that little clip. This is a clip from 19, are you ready? 56, Cecil, Cecil D. DeMille, DeMille, yeah. The Ten Commandments. You know that Hollywood has tried to reproduce the parting of the Red Sea. And there is nothing, even using common CGI of today, they cannot reproduce it. Still rated the best. And this is terrible. Uh, well, the lighting isn't probably very good, and it's, it wasn't HD quality, so I apologize. But I encourage you. Listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to read the rest of the story. You need to go home, read it as a family, read the rest of the story. See what God does, because God moves. That's your little assignment today. Go home and read the rest. Now you say, well, I already know the rest of the story. Hey, go read it. Go read it. But let's watch on film. Watch it on YouTube and get an HD quality. And of course, Cecil DeMille or Cecil DeMille, D. DeMille, he didn't get the theology 100% correct. Pharaoh actually gets swallowed up as well. God wants to move on our behalf. And he wants to demonstrate his power in your life and in mine. I wonder sometimes, by way of closing today, what in your life? Is it time to get off your knees and get moving on? What, on you, what in your life have you been delaying and it's just simply time to move? What step of faith might you need to take Maybe it's the simplicity because you realize that the way you respond in impossible circumstances is out of the natural man or out of that fear base or out of that plight base mentality and you want to see God do that transformative work in your heart and in your life. Dennis, if you would just have maybe the worship team come up. We're simply going to close with a word of prayer, but having some music in the background. And as these are coming, will you stand with me this morning? We're just going to take a few moments to pray and really respond to the Lord. Respond to the Lord. What is it that I need to do? What is it that I need to do? I recognize that Sometimes God puts me in impossible situations and he wants to show his power. Can you be settled on that and be okay with that? Lord, you, I get it. And I know some of us right here, right here, are in the midst of impossible circumstances.
you're facing very difficult, or you're just coming out of facing some very difficult, and you're saying, man, I've seen the hand of God already move, and you're rejoicing. Or maybe you say, I haven't really faced very many impossible situations. You can be sure that you will. It's going to come your way at some point. Will you be okay with God being in charge and taking you there? Can you recognize and be reminded that when God has delivered you out of bondage, out of trouble, out of those things that seem to hinder you, that Satan is in pursuit of you? And with that knowledge, can you equip yourself well? Can you put your armor on every single day? Come on. I need the breastplate of righteousness. I need the helmet of salvation. I need the belt of truth. My feet need to be fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. I need to take up the shield of faith so that I can extinguish all of the fiery darts of the evil one. I need to wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I need to be one who knows how to rightly divide the word of truth, to use and quote scripture just as Jesus did when he was facing temptation and heartache and hardship, to use God's word used to it. David, when he was going to go out and face Goliath, Saul said, here, put my armor on. And David put it on, and he's like, I I can't go fight with this. I'm not used to it. And he took it off, and he put on his gear, which happened to be his sash, his belt, a little pouch. And from that pouch, he pulled out his slingshot, and he went down into that brook, and he picked up five stones and put them in, and walked out, putting a stone in that sheath, And he said, you come against me with spears and swords. He says, but I come against you in the name of Jehovah, the God of the Israelites. And he charged the giant, slung his sling, let go of the stone, lodged it into the forehead of the giant and dropped him like a bad habit. Come on. God wants to do that kind of work in us. God wants to do that kind of work through us. Your enemy is pursuing. Let's learn to fight. Let's learn to fight and win the battle. We win the battle on our knees. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God pulling down strongholds. Mighty through God. Let's fight. If you respond in circumstances in the wrong way, will you lean on the Lord? Will you let him do that transformative work so that we can respond in faith? rather than fear or plight or natural man. And maybe it's just time to get up and go. Maybe it's time to move. Maybe it's just time to move. you got to go do that thing. You've been praying, you've been praying, you've been praying. And it's almost as if God's saying, hey, stop praying. Get up and get going. Get moving. So we say, sometimes we say, well, I'm just waiting to be led. Look, get rid of the lead and get moving, Right? Will you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, it's good that we've been in the house of God today. It's good that we've been together. It's good that we've worshiped you in song. We've worshiped you in that we've studied your word. We've worshiped you in that we have cooperated with your Holy Spirit who has been speaking in our inner man. Now, Lord, may we take these thoughts, may we take these truths. I pray, God, that we would write them down. If you, Lord, you are telling us to move on something, if you're telling us to do something, maybe we just need to repent of some area. Maybe we've had a God that's, we've just something that we've trusted in over you. Lord, we need to renounce that and say, no, God. Maybe we need to tell someone. Maybe we need to tell our spouse. 
Maybe we need to tell a confidant, a friend. Lord, whatever those things are, we've been in cooperation with your spirit. Now, Lord, may we solidify those things that we might grow and move forward. We have assignments today to go forth and read the remainder of chapter 14. Maybe even get on YouTube and watch Cecil DeMille and his capturing of the Ten Commandments, that scene, and see it in HD. It's a goosebump moment because, God, you did it for real. And they saw They saw it. So, Lord, songs and hymns, the horse and rider thrown into the sea, the Lord, my God, my strength, my song has now become my victory. Hallelujah. Lord, will you go with us? May we today receive your benediction and your blessing. We love you. We praise you. And we ask, God, that you would solidify these things in our hearts. We ask all of these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said a strong amen. Hey, let's go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Be sure to stop by all the tables up there. And be sure to invite.